Hello, and welcome to Dice Don't Die, a Pathfinder 2nd Edition podcast. Hey all, Beth, your friendly neighborhood GM here. I wanted to address one of the topics in this week's episode. I mentioned that Paizo had yet to come out with a blog post on Agents of Edgewatch, their newest AP. Well, they finally did on June 22nd. Uh, So I felt I needed to record something just really quick by myself to report on that. They stated they can't afford to cancel or delay the release of the Adventure Path. It's not surprising to me. And I will wait to see the final product to see if they've made the correct decision here. I am very thankful that Eric Mona made this blog post. I felt like the community was asking them to. And it was good that Paizo addressed some of their concerns. Uh, They will be donating proceeds from the Edgewash campaign to uh, the NAACP. There is one part of the blog post that I did want to read and then briefly discuss. Quote, To that end, I should acknowledge that some members of our staff did raise concerns about the campaign's theme early on. In retrospect, I did not give these concerns the full audience that they deserved, and I regret this oversight. This is part of the learning process, too. End quote. I feel that this is a change that needs to happen at many business levels. The gaming industry in particular needs to be having these types of conversations when people have concerns about the theme of a product release or an adventure path. And I would hope that people that work with Paizo or work at Paizo would feel comfortable coming to their managers with these concerns. But if they're constantly being shot down and saying, oh, don't worry about that, eventually that will stop. It's good to hear that they say they're going to learn the lesson on this. But I really do want to see a change in that work culture. We're seeing a lot of people come out with their percentages of black staff, people of color, how many women they have at different levels, both the uh, executive level and lower. And I would encourage a lot of companies to do this, particularly the bigger ones. Paizo's pretty small, but at the same point, it would be nice to know, you know, how many of your staff are people of color, how many of your staff are black. We saw during Pride Month, they put a post out there, they've been trying very hard to address people's concern. So I want to see that continue. And I hope that you all do, too. Well, enough of me. Enjoy the episode.
Hello, and welcome back to Dice Don't Die's Deep Dive. Tonight, we're talking about that chemical mastermind, alchemist fire-loving, and everyone's all-around favorite acid tosser, The Alchemist. I'm Chad, and tonight, I'm talking with Beth. Hello! <laughs> David. David. Hey. And Sarah. Hi, everyone! Before we get into the chemical shenanigans, though, Beth has something important to talk about. I do. I know that this is coming out pretty late to all of the protests that are happening. We record these episodes two weeks to a month in advance, and the timing of this one is, just to be honest, a little poor. However, I feel really strongly that we have to address it, Um, not just the post that Paizo put out on their blog, uh, but also the Black Lives Matter movement and the protests that are going across in all 50 states. So, all the links of the stuff that I'm going to be talking about are in the description, just to let you know. But on June 4th, and we're recording this on June 9th, by the way, on June 4th, Paizo put a blog post out there uh, talking about that how they stand in solidarity with their black colleagues, uh, how they are spearheading a fundraising initiative uh, to directly support black communities and talking about how we have a voice. And I think that's very much true. Um, It was a really nice post. I know that in years past, Paiso's been around 10 plus years at this point. I know there have been times in the past they've made some really wrong steps, some really wrong decisions, uh, some design decisions, some uh, staffing decisions that were wrong. And I'm not going to sit here and say that everything that Paizo has done is always great and wonderful. It has never been my position, and that has never been the goal of the podcast. However, I do feel very strongly that Paizo has tried to make a very solid effort and a very noticeable effort to be inclusive and to make these things important in their everyday discussions. And so the fact that they put this blog post out there doesn't surprise me. I was very glad to see it. Um, There were a couple of things... As all blog posts, there was a forum thread. And there are a couple of things that I wanted to address in that. Uh, so first, there was a guy with a great name, not going to lie, of, by the name of Silver Sarcasm, who mentioned that there is an upcoming AP called Agents of Edgewatch. This AP is essentially you playing cops in Absalom. So I think that Silver Sarcasm and many others, I'm not saying that this person is the only one, had some concerns about this. And actually, Eric Mona, who is the chief creative officer for uh, Paizo, uh, put out a post, and this is on June fourth so the same day that the blog post went live just saying that 
that is a complex topic that there are many uh, sensitive items that go along with that, and so they wanted to do its own post. I don't know. Uh, this is something that I wish they had addressed more in their original post, or it it's now, what is it, guys, five days later? I wish that they had come out with a post before now, because they have not addressing these concerns. Now, I don't know what's going on behind the scenes. I know that in this thread, there were developers, uh, Pizo, uh, Pizo employees all talking um, about their concerns, so I'm sure it will be addressed. But I am disappointed that something hasn't been officially put out sooner. Now, I also find it very unlikely that they're going to change the publishing deadline, right? That's something extremely hard to do for a publisher. But I don't know. It may be that Agents of Edge Watch gets redesigned. And maybe that's for the best. Uh, until we have those additional details, I am withholding judgment. But I am... I don't know, concerned, I guess is the best way of putting it. So, finally, on this blog post, and this is about 24 hours later, there's a post at the very end from Sam Feedlin. They had to shut this thread down. It is technically un unlocked, so you can still post comments but many posts and replies were taken down and that's hard to hear for me like we we all kind of anticipate a forum like this having people who are racist uh like just putting it very bluntly here uh spouting things on there, on the forums. But it was still hard to see when I felt like all of us had an opportunity to stand together. It was really hard to see that there were people who still tried to make excuses, to make arguments that what was going on right now was not as serious as it is. And that upset me quite a bit. So I think that I think that this is not just Paizo response. I don't think that this is just an industry response, right? Everybody's getting emails. Thankfully, I, I'm not disparaging that, but there's a lot of companies coming out with emails saying, yes, we stand with our black employees. We stand with these community members. But that's not enough. This is something that we need to be taking to our own tables. We need to be standing up for all people in our tales. We as gamers, as people who play tabletop role-playing games, 
need to be calling out those others at the table, those other players, those other GMs. We need to end racism everywhere. That includes our conventions, our parties, and our weekly campaigns. We, we as a group, need to make sure that we are allies and advocates for voices that are being pushed down. Some of you who are listening right now, your voices are being silenced, and those around you need to be able to help lift you up. It's not easy. But it's the right thing. This is my call to each of you. To reach out to your communities right now and see what you personally can do. Supplies, bail funds, and time are all needed in your community right now to make these protests have a long-reaching effect. In the description, we have included a link to the Kansas City Bail Fund. The Kansas City area is our home, our community. But I encourage each and every one of you to reach out to your communities to see how you personally can help. Even more, I call each of you to keep bigotry and hatred out of our spaces so that they can be safe for everyone to come to the table and roll dice. Even as we sit here and talk about this game that brings a lot of joy, please understand the importance that the Black Lives Matter and Antifa movements have. Let's get into it. Well said, Beth. <laughs> Thanks. As we mentioned, we're talking about The Alchemist. And, as I always want to start in all of these episodes, let's talk historical context. What is the fantasy of playing an alchemist? I know what, for me, my influences are. There were an alchemy shop in like the Middle Ages, other parts of the world. Uh, you want to be able to turn stuff into gold. <laughs> right. Well, that's a big one too, right? But like these apothecary shops, right? They would, some of them would say, you know, yes, we can turn things into other objects. Right, that's a absolutely a thing that they would say, but also concoctions, right? Healing salves, uh, things that would ease your stomach or make you vomit. Sometimes also necessary for health. <laughs> to be honest, yes. Yeah. Um, also, there in some parts of the world was a philosophy behind it. This idea of mixing things to become different things. 
And <laughs> yeah, this is actually the beginning of chemistry, right? Yeah. Like it's it's pretty great. So like that's a big part of it. I also think that um the idea of like your local healer or your local witch, which I know witch is its own class, but I think some of that also comes in play here. Um but for the alchemists of the past uh i do recommend going and listening to another podcast called sawbones <laughs> it's a great podcast one way better than ours no that's that's mean that's not true well. <laughs> <laughs> very different than ours how about that all right bye uh, all of our listeners <laughs> i'm sorry Go enjoy uh, stop, stop listening to us listen listen only to sawbones Listen, well, they're, listen about some uh, old timey folks trying to sell you some cure alls. Exactly. So they talk about a thing called the four humors and the balancing of the four humors. That was something that was a big concept in early alchemy, and I find that really interesting. So there's some sources uh, for that. I also, when we talk about the alchemist here in a bit in Pathfinder, we talk about mutagens. And the effect that it has on your body. So I immediately go to Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. See that? Yeah, that's definitely. I also think about um, Frankenstein's monster. Or the book Frankenstein. Uh, the idea of being able to use science and medical knowledge to uh, alter the human form. Right? That very much plays into it. Uh, for cultural references, not really historical, uh, I always think of WoW. Nerd. <laughs> I know. Uh, but my earliest character was, well, I had two. I had a human who was an alchemist, a priest alchemist. And then I had an undead who was the same thing, a priest alchemist. And I would play on the Horde side and the Alliance side. And in WoW, you always see people with these like big glass bottles and constantly like the bubble noises were in the game. And sometimes bubbles would even be floating in the air. Right? Like it, it felt very futuristic. In a, a fantasy game. I don't know. I loved it. I still do. I still subbed a WoW. So don't judge me. It's too late. <laughs> That's probably fair. Uh, I mean, if, if I can jump in real quick as the alchemist of our party. Mm -hmm. um, I think a lot of, of what you've mentioned is really what drew me to playing it. Is that, you know, it's it's like magic but it's not because it's science. Um, and like, that's, that's one of the things that's actually written in the core rule book is, is, you know, you've done a lot of research and experimentation and you know that it's science, but to a lot of other people, it just kind of looks like magic. And um, I mean, we're, we're probably going to talk about this later, but one of the differences is that 
in second edition, you're not a spellcaster. Or one Mm -hmm. of the differences between um, second edition Pathfinder and uh, sort of D&D 5e. So the alchemist subclass of the artificer is also a spellcaster. Oh, I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. Very cool. So... Yeah, that's being a science type myself. Um, it is really appealing to to play the uh, the science nerd who is like, "Hey, look at I can do all this cool stuff with science," <laughs> and then also you get to blow people up. Still, you don't have to worry about all those lab precautions, right? You can throw lab safety out the window with all the bombs you've made. <laughs> oh, I kind of actually love that. That's fantastic. So let's get into the class itself. So some of the just quote unquote boring stuff, uh, their initial proficiencies, a couple of things that stood out to me. One, they're expert in fortitude and reflex. I have a very valid narrative reason for that. They have to be able to, one, swallow gross <laughs> And two, be able to dodge their own bumps. Mm-hmm. Just saying. It's uh, a lot of practice. You know, you, you have all of the experiments that have gone right, but you also have even more experiments that have turned out not the way you expected them to. So a lot of exactly. practice at like dodging and mm-hmm. hiding behind things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, if, if their reflex... Uh was any lower than they'd drop their stuff more often. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, they are trained in crafting, which has to be a requirement because their yeah. class relies so heavily on crafting. And then <laughs> the one that cracked me up the most is they are trained in simple weapons. Great. Awesome. They're trained in unarmed. Everybody is. That's awesome. Trained in alchemical bombs. Trained in alchemical bombs specifically. <laughs> like it calls it out. They're, it's their own weapon type. <laughs> like they don't fit anywhere else. I guess. It's funny. It cracked me up when I first saw that. Oh, jeez. Because could you imagine an alchemist who wasn't proficient in bombs? Yes. <laughs> yeah, that'd be interesting be a short campaign i can tell you that (laughs) yeah that oh my god it better be a healer (laughs) (laughs) oh man that cracks me up uh so yeah um they're trained in light armor um and that's pretty much it none of that really surprises me um, the only thing that I was like, eh, I wish that was higher, uh, was the additional skills, which intelligence is going to be your main stat, right? Like that's their primary stat, which makes sense, right? So- scientists, smart, mm-hmm. gotta have, gotta have that knowledge. Uh, but they only get three skills plus their intelligence modifier. And I honestly expected that to be a little higher. But other than that, all of it's pretty standard. Also, they get eight plus constitution as their hit points. 
which is pretty uh, middle of the road for hit points, uh, which they have to do. Like, it couldn't have been, like, the wizard who gets, like, six or whatever. Uh, <laughs> Oof. <laughs> uh, because, again, they're always bombing themselves. Mishaps happen. I don't know if anybody remembers way back to uh, the character creation episode when I described that, like, literally half of Ashka's body is just covered in burn scars. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. Hey, uh, for totally unrelated reasons, um, is there an equivalent Geneva Convention uh, set of rules for chemical weapons in uh, Pathfinder? I can neither confirm nor deny. Okay. And that just means I actually don't know. I would guess that there would be some sort of treaties between nations on chemical warfare. But then again... Maybe not. I have no idea. I'm sure Ashka would be really interested to know. She she is. She's not like quite so worried about it since they're just sort of hanging out locally right now. Mm-hmm. But uh, in the interest of evil maybe, GM face, maybe going other places. Very uh, evil GM face. Would like to know the status of war crimes. <laughs> oh man, that's funny. So the other things that alchemists get at first level that kind of make their class unique obviously all surround alchemy, bombs. We've already mentioned bombs quite a bit. So the first one is infused reagents. And this one, I actually remember uh, in the playtest, like people calculated how much money you would have to have to be an alchemist, and it was just impossible. And so, uh, which cracked me up. Like, it's just, you would never make enough money to be an alchemist. So infused reagents just means that you do, don't have to pay for your alchemical items for your re- your uh, reagents you use every day. So you infuse them with your own alchemical essence. Nobody else thought that was as funny. I think it's hilarious. <laughs> I mean, I'm just glad I don't have to be poor. Yeah. It's, <laughs> that's... Wow. <laughs> uh, <laughs> fair, but also... I mean, come on. That's true. No, I totally get it. Uh, I just think it's funny because, like, we were just talking about how sciencey they are, but here we have the individual alchemical essence. And here, please come smell my essential oils. (laughs) (laughs) Like that's (laughs) is that the vibe you're getting? (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. I don't know. I was kind of getting like we're gonna find some some chemicals and we're gonna mix them in a bucket not like Mm -hmm. the healing properties of lavender (laughs) just sort of like oh man i love that so much i found some sulfur and uh some ammonia maybe don't come over here and breathe this in right now (laughs) i'll be done in a minute that's probably more accurate 
but I think that character op- options could be made where you could build a character either way, right? That's true. You could uh, you could probably make an alchemist more of an herbalist too. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, but yeah, I thought that was pretty funny. Uh, so then they get the quick alchemy action. So you have your infused reagents, uh, and then your alchemical tools, which you know required, and you can make a concoction, right? And this is a one action action? I I don't know how else to say this. It is a single manipulate action. Thank you. A uh, swift help from the hubby there. He is literally crying right now. (laughs) Anyway, so yeah, quick alchemy is a single manipulate action allows you to take those infused reagents and just kind of whip something up real quick. Uh, And then finally, or not finally, they get two more things, actually. They get their formula book, right? Which is all their notes. Now, how did Ashka describe her formula book? I don't quite remember. I thought it was, like, mostly drawings. Um... There's some drawings in there. It's, I mean, it's pretty scribbled. Ashka doesn't really have the neatest handwriting. Um, she can understand it. I'm not sure if anyone else would be able to understand it if they tried reading it. Man, ma- like many scientist notes. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's good enough for her. <laughs> but yeah, uh, so. It's very similar to a spell book, right? It has all of the alchemical formulas that you're able to prepare. And then we have your research field. And this is how you get to choose what type of alchemist you are. Which is pretty great. So we have three choices as of yet. uh, Further down the road, there's going to be more. But right now, you have the bomber, the mutagenist, and then Sarah, I'm going to have you pronounce the last one. The chirurgeon. Yeah, that. Not even going to try. So the bomber is the one that I think most of us are pretty familiar with because that's what Ashka is. You specialize in explosions. So you get to choose uh, two, four, oh, wait, no. That's at level seven. You get to choose some formulas to start with. Uh, The big feature here, and I think this is something Ashka gets uh, pretty pretty, like, handily is being able to deal splash damage to the primary target instead of everything. Which was actually something we had to clarify because the rules were not super clear about that. Mm-hmm. 
But uh, yeah, so as a bomber, um, I can choose to deal splash damage to everybody within five feet of the target. And then I believe there are other feats to increase splash damage range. Um, Or I can have the target uh, take the splash damage. So Mm -hmm. very helpful when I'm trying to hit somebody with a bomb who's standing right next to my allies. Mm -hmm. Uh, They don't have to take that damage. Yeah, very, very helpful. And then later, they get to choose additional formulas. Uh, They get expanded splash at level 13, which I think is really cool. Uh, Essentially, your bombs are just bigger. And they splash in... Oh, no, excuse me. It's greater field of discovery that gives you 10 feet. And then if you have expanded splash, it's 15 feet. I read that wrong. Uh, Which, a bomb that covers 15 feet... Like, there's some pools that aren't 15 feet wide. That's insane. Just gonna be honest. That's great. And then at 17th level, you get your perfection, which means that you get the greater version of all of your bombs. So very cool. Uh, So just to give people a little bit of hope um, that soon the fields of research are going to be expanded past three. Um, In Pathfinder 1, Paizo released 64 different archetypes for the Alchemist. <laughs> yeah, and we're going to highlight a couple of those uh, for sure. Because yep. uh, there's some really good ones. Like the one I think you really like. 64. I'm just going to repeat that number. Um, <laughs> there, are, there are a lot of them that have really, really cool names. Um, one of them that I was just looking at is the Mixologist. Um, mm-hmm. which makes all of your concoctions alcoholic. And so you can intoxicate your enemies when you throw bombs at them and make them take status penalties. I pretty much love that. Also, you get alcohol resistance. Also, if anybody wants to be a blood alchemist, that <laughs> sounds really sweet. An eldritch poisoner. You can literally be a homunculist. Which is pretty close to what I assume the uh, mutagenist is right now. Mm, So I would have to look at it more, but isn't that one more about creating other beings? Oh, it might. Let me take a quick look. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that one is... Yep, that's for familiars. Yeah. I thought so. That is literally Dr. Frankenstein. Uh, yeah, there's some pretty good one. Uh, my personal favorite is the uh, Vivisectionist. I just clicked on that. It's like yeah. uh, a chirurgeon, except the opposite, where instead of trying to put the bodies back together, you're trying to take them apart. Yeah, yeah. You, you just have, like, really... Uh, Evil ways of dissecting people. At uh, second level, right. you you get to add Death Watch to your formula book. Now, I do want to reiterate, these are 
Pathfinder first edition uh, archetypes. So, not something we have access to yet. But, talk Eventually. to your GM about how to modify your Pathfinder 2 character okay. to get I them am, in the game. I am all down for homebrew content. Plug for the forums has a homebrew section. It's much less traveled than the rest of it. A rest of the forums. Uh, but, Super fun. I really like the people on the uh, homebrew section. But anyway, moving back. Uh, let's talk about the mutagenist. Because this is where I think I am most critical of the alchemy. The mutagenist is constantly creating, instead of bombs, mutagens. They consume these and it takes some sort of physical effect on them. And I think the mutagenist really, really uh, needs more ability to mitigate those. Because as it stands, the only thing you really get from being a mutagenist is a one-action ability called mutagenic flashback. So essentially, you burp, and you get to reuse one of your mutations. Which is a gross way of mm. thinking about it, but it's the only way I can think about it. Yeah, Chad and I both made gross faces. Yeah, it's the only way I can think about it. It says you experience a brief resurgence of a mutagen. Yeah, you belch, and then guess what happens? Then you breathe in the, the belch. Oh, gross. Ugh. <laughs> oh, <Sorry. laughs> I hate this. <laughs> All right, we're going to move on to the Sarah Chirurgeon. Thank you. Uh, this one's pretty cool, and it's something that I was really glad was included in the the core rulebook. It's a way to turn your alchemist into the healer, which I think of this as like a hedge witch or um, like healers and old-timey books and stuff, right? Like, this is the person you go when you have a broken arm and there's no doctor. <laughs> uh, so, when you pick the Sarah? Chirurgeon. Thank you. You get to add some additional formulas that other alchemists don't have access to. So you get lesser antidote, lesser anti-plague, and, or elixir of life. I thought you did have a uh, elixir of life. I do. So that's that's a first level. Um, the chirurgeon sort of automatically learns it. Oh, I see what. You're um, okay. And then gets additional formulas. So depending on which uh, field of research you take. Um, so since I was a bomber, I got two bomb formulas, and then plus an additional number of formulas that I could pick, whichever ones I wanted to. Um, so that just means that the elixir of life, um, as a chirurgeon, you already have it. You don't need to spend sort of one of your other s formula slots learning it. Um, what I was going to say about the elixir of life um, is that it's the only alchemical item that has five different tiers to it. Um, 
So a lot of the other formulas only have three or four sort of of tiers where it'll increase your damage or it'll it'll change the the stats of whatever alchemical item you're making um the elixir of life has five and the last one you're able to learn when you reach level 19 but it does start you off um i believe the elixir of life only does one d4 worth of healing per elixir that you make so as a healing item, it is not super great until you level it up at level five. Yeah, that's fair. Let me double check that. Oh, 1d6. Gotcha. So it does 1d6 worth of healing. Um, and then when you level it up at level five, you get 3d6 plus six. So you just sort of got to slog through the first five levels or the first four. Um, but like once you hit sort of that second tier elixir of life, you're going to be pretty set. So, yeah, those are the research fields for the alchemist. And those obviously get better as you level. In Ooh, general. Uh, oh, go ahead. I was just going to add that um, the class feats also go along with uh, the different research fields. Uh, so, for example, at um, second level for your class feat, you can choose between poison resistance, uh, revivifying mutagen, which I butchered that word. Um, <laughs> And then smoke bomb, and so so each each one of them sort of corresponds to a different research field uh, that you might go into, um, and it's sort of the same way for a lot of uh, a lot of the different feats that you could get. So there's one that aligns more with elixirs and healing, one that aligns more with bombs, mm -hmm. and then one that aligns more with mutagens a lot of the time. Yeah, when I was going through the feats, I absolutely noticed that, that there almost seemed to be these logical trees. My only issue with that was that it didn't seem like there were enough unique options for each group, right? Like the healer options. Okay, if I'm a whatever the name of that thing is. Uh, Chirurgeon. Thank you. Uh, then I... I'm going to take these feats. Like, there's no... There's not no flexibility, but I do think that the feat selection needs to be expanded upon, and there is limited. Um, right. Sort of the other thing I would, I would say with that, I definitely agree with that point, is that a lot of the feats for the mutagenist seem based on, oh, hey, so if you know this mutagen formula, this feat makes it kind of less terrible. Yeah, or but like never makes it, it a little bit better. Yeah, right. But I, I, I mean, same. I guess same complaint here. Then is that as a mutagenist, like I want to be able to learn different formulas and not have to take those really specific feats mm -hmm. in order to make my fighting style what I would consider viable. Yeah, I agree. You don't really start getting like what I considered to be, like, really useful things as a mutagenist until level, like, 14. 
uh, and even then, like, 14, you get uh, glib mutagen. So you are able to speak languages. You get uh, your silver tongue mutagen gets to uh, ignore penalties to diplomacy, deception, intimidation, and performance. Uh, everybody whose words you speak, who hears them, understands you. This is at level uh, 14. And you're getting something that wizards can cast a spell for much sooner. So, yeah. I definitely noticed that. Um, since we're already talking about feats, I did want to bring up two things. Um, one, that they have a unique trait on their feats called additives. So, whenever you have a feat that adds an additive, you can only add one, right? You can't add, like, if you had a feat for Smoke Bomb, uh, you couldn't also make it a debilitating bomb. So, an additive at its level to the level of the alchemical item modifying. So, if you have a level 2 bomb and you add a level 1 or an additive 1 to that, it's now a level 3 bomb. So, you wouldn't be able to add anything else to it if you were level, you know, whatever. Does that make sense? Yeah. I was waiting for the people who like weren't alchemists to on that <laughs> yeah. one. Uh yeah, it's kind of a weird concept and they're the only class that has that type of thing. So I thought that was really interesting. Uh the other thing I noticed about the feats, other than specific really cool feats, was they only shared one with another class. Everything else was unique to alchemists. And that was poison resistance. You can take a level two. And that is shared with the druid. But yeah, other than that, all of their feats are pretty unique. Which is a good thing, but also, depending on your uh, field, you're only going to be taking select feats anyway. So, I don't know. Highs and lows in the feat section for me. Although, I think there was one you were really excited about, David. Yeah, I... I like the uh, alchemical familiar. Uh, you just kind of, you know, wizard or sorcerer or druid has their familiar to help with their magic. You have a familiar that's just kind of your lab assistant. <laughs> um, so that's where we were kind of talking about the homunculus alchemist yeah. in, in first edition. What uh, level do you get that feat at? That's a level one feat. It's and... a level one feat. Oh, shoot. It the first line of it is, you have used alchemy to create life. Again, that Dr. Frankenstein. A simple creature formed uh, from alchemical materials, reagents, and a bit of your own blood. 
Um, the price. That's creepy. Yeah. That's really creepy. All right. Uh, and then uh, there's a uh, familiar ability I remember that uh, allows you to have like more infused reagents every day. I just remember that because it's like, oh, well, I'm a wizard and Nidal's a wizard, mm-hmm. so Sebastian can't do that. <laughs> and I, I don't, I don't, I don't think it's in in there that like Sebastian could, you know, help give uh, Ashka a few extra reagents for the day. I think it has to be. Well, now I'm gonna look it up. Yeah. <laughs> so since we're talking about uh, feats, we like I really like Mega Bomb. It is a level 20 feat. But do you like it more than the Philosopher's Stone? (sighs) So... No, the Philosopher's Stone is pretty great. Like, not gonna lie. But, hear me out here. It's the size of a gosh darn swimming pool. It is. 60 feet. How do you even... Okay, how do you... Hang on, wait. I thought it it was a 30-foot range within centered within 60 feet of yourself. It is 30-foot radius. Radius. So it would be a 60-foot circle. You're correct. Centered on you. Oh my gosh, it deals damage as if each creature were the primary target. Yes! Do you see what I'm... You explode! That is a correct. So anyway, let's just say that, you know, uh, the alchemist fire formula that I'm using is the level 17 version. So you get 4d8 damage, 4 persistent fire damage, and then 4 splash damage on every target... Or depending on how they're grouped, you could do some some math about how big your splash radius is. But also, if you've taken uh, the feat that I just took at level four, which is calculated splash, you can ignore that four uh, splash damage and make it whatever your intelligence modifier is. All right, which that's at level good. seventeen is probably going to be pretty good. <laughs> yeah, probably. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, they do get some really cool stuff at the later levels. I just think that they they seem kind of feet starved at the lower levels. But I don't know. So I do want to backtrack really quick and cover a couple of things on the class itself. So other than a enhancements to like your will like they get iron will eventually at level seven uh you also get double brew just pretty great uh you can uh concoct two items at once so that's pretty awesome and then my personal favorite This cracks me up so much. At level 19, your capstone ability, 
which we have talked, right? Every single class, we have talked about their capstone ability and how cool it is, right? For spellcasters, it's been, you get a 10th level spell, which is a new thing just for Pathfinder 2nd uh, Edition. Do you know what alchemists get at level 19? Light armor mastery. Yeah. <laughs> you become hey. a master at light armor. It's because we're already masters at stuff by that time, so you're just catching up. I guess. I, I just was, like, I always scroll down to see the capstone ability, right? Because I always want to mention, like, uh, there's a big push in Paizo's design theory where the APs go all the way to 20, right? So you get to play the class as a whole, which I think was a good decision. I've been waiting for them to do that for years, honestly. Uh... And then you go to the capstone ability, and it's light armor mastery. All right. Oh, wait, okay, okay, okay. L- hear me out. All right. So at level 17, this is what I was talking about with we're already maxed, okay? At level 17, you get perpetual perfection, which means that you've perfected your perpetual infusion, so you can use quick alchemy to make items at no cost that are like pretty high level anyway so sort of back in the feats for perpetual infusions you have to pick um depending on your field of research which formulas and i think you can only pick two uh two formulas that you want to be like these are the ones i use all the time i want to be able to make these whenever i want to and it's going to be amazing and i can just (laughs) i just have it um which you know for ashka is going to be alchemist fire and Mm -hmm. something else i haven't thought that far ahead yet but (laughs) well because you don't get them until fifth level right Right. So that's a problem yeah. for next level me. Um, so bombers, they have to be bombs. Chirurgeons, they have to be uh, they have to be greater antidote and anti-plague or just the antidote and anti-plague versions. And then mutagenist, you get to choose which mutagens you want. Um, but those are going to be the highest level that you have. And Mm -hmm. quick alchemy is like, oh, shoot, I forgot to make some this morning, but uh, here it is. (laughs) So you just imagine in the middle of a battle, your alchemist is like, guys, hang on just like a quick sec. And it's like in a cartoon where they turn around for like two seconds and they come back and they somehow have like a whole chemistry set like out. (laughs) And they're like, yeah, hang on, hang on. And they're just like furiously mixing things together. And they're like, okay, no, fine. And then they just like hurl something at the enemy. Okay, that is pretty good. And and you do get that at 17th level. And you get it at 17. So we're already capped out by the time we get to 19. So that's why your capstone ability sucks so bad. Yeah, that's all that's left, really, is to shore up everything else. Of course. (laughs) How could I have thought otherwise? (laughs) It is a very cool ability. I'm not going to lie. And the fact that you get it at 17th level is pretty cool. Yeah. So we've talked a lot about uh, the alchemist itself. I thought it would be kind of important to talk about alchemical items so we've already talked about uh some of it we've mentioned bombs and mutagens so bombs are going to be your attack uh some of your attack 
alchemical items where mutagens affect your body. Uh, But there are also elixirs that you can create. And at least from my point of view, a lot of those elixirs do the same things that the mutagens do. Usually not quite to such a high degree as the mutagen. But the bonus of the elixir is that it doesn't have the drawbacks Mm -hmm. that the mutagens do. Yeah, so mutagens are like a type of elixir that have the drawbacks. And yeah, not my favorite. Uh, But then you also have poisons. So many poisons. Uh, which I love that in the core rulebook, there's af- actually a section called Method of Exposure. So you have contact poison, ingested poisons, inhaled poisons, and then a type of poison called injury, which is just so great. Just put it on your weapon. Yeah. Yeah, it's absolutely. Fine. And then finally, the shortest rule in a rulebook that I've ever seen ever. Alchemical tools. Alchemical tools are consumable items you don't drink. That's it. That's it. Nothing else to say. <laughs> it just cracks me up. Because it's like, all right then. I would also Shorten like to, to say the that the alchemical items go level one, level one, level one, level two, level 20. And that's it. It's all the alchemical tools that exist. Yeah, that, that you've track. got you've got your level one, your really basic like, hey, this is a sunrod. When you hit it on something, it glows forever. You got like, oh, your tinder twig. Did you forget your flint and you need to start a fire? Here you go, buddy. You just can't believe you left that at home again. <laughs> and then you're like, oh, I'm sorry. Did you want eternal life? Here's the philosopher's stone. that is so fantastic you know you just gotta wait 20 levels right (laughs) uh i do like that there is worm repellent at uh 13th level you can get uh now this was something that was added in uh lord of the black sands uh ap uh but it is Cave worm repellent. And then depending on the level, you can get purple worm, azure worm, or crimson worm repellent. However, these repellents require, like, the crimson worm. You have to get its liver first. So in order to repel them, you have to have killed one first. Or paid a lot of money. I'm assuming. I mean, yeah. oh that just really cracked me up so we've been talking a little bit about the philosopher's stone and how awesome it is sarah why don't you give us a rundown on how awesome it is it's pretty great hang on i gotta find it i'm sorry i should have warned you i was gonna throw this at you so it is a level 20 item yes that's what i was talking about before so, like, just saying, you're not going to be able to really get it before then, but right. it's pretty great. Also, it's much bigger than I would have anticipated. 
Like, it describes it as an arbitrary, sooty piece of natural rock. So I was thinking, like, something you hold in your hand, right? No. This thing it has to be held in two hands and is too bulk. Yeah. I that mean, it's got all a, that life in it. It's a boulder. Philosopher's like boulder is what it should be named. Stone. <laughs> um. Anyway, you can only create this once a month. Yeah. <laughs> uh, although it only takes one batch of infused reagents. Um. Yeah, it, it appears to be an ordinary sooty piece of rock. Uh, but breaking the rock open, which requires a DC 35 strength check, uh, <laughs> reveals all scientists have that. <laughs> reveals that it's some sort of agate because uh, the inside is hollow. Uh, the cavity is lined with a rare type of quicksilver that can transmute base metals into precious metals or create an elixir of rejuvenation, which is also a level 20 item. It's an alchemical item. It's an elixir. It is also level 20. So you're going to be able to heal yourself a lot, or yes. you're going to be able, able to make a lot of money. Uh, yeah, so making a lot of money, um, you create 500 gold worth of your chosen metal per day on a success or 750 gold per day on a critical success. So that's that's like a downtime crafting method. So here's my retirement plan, guys. Gonna become an alchemist, get to level 20, create this, and then I'm set for life. Right? Yes. Sounds pretty right. good. Yeah. Foolproof in this economy. You just need to become a level 20 alchemist. Yeah, they always say yeah. invest in gold. So. Yeah, right? All of a sudden, I have decided to go back to the gold standard. No? Yeah, that's probably not a good idea anyway. <laughs> anyway. Probably not. But... <laughs> oh, hang on, hang on. I was going to read you the, uh, the elixir of rejuvenation as well. Um, so that's the other thing that you can create with the Philosopher's Stone, which I, I guess just, I don't know why you wouldn't just learn the formula for the elixir of rejuvenation, if that's what you wanted to use it for. But hey, I'm not your mom. Uh, options? Yeah. Maybe you're metagaming and you know you're going to get the Philosopher's Stone ahead of time. So, um... um so the elixir of rejuvenation uh, restores you to full health and eradicates any toxins or uh, status effects. Um, all of quote all afflictions of twentieth level or lower affecting you are removed. Uh, you can also administer it to somebody who has been dead for a week or less. Resurrection! Congrats, you're a necromancer now. <laughs> um, but 
that creature that was previously dead for one to seven days does not get full health. They only get one HP. No spell slots, focus points, or other daily resources. So. There you go. Pretty good. You're a necromancer now. Nice. All right. So. Anything else we want to mention about the alchemist itself? Because if not, I totally want to move into some ancestry options. Well, I think we all know the right answer for ancestry. Elf. Beth, it is a good thing we're not in the same room right now. (laughs) Social distancing for the win! Oh, boy. (laughs) Oh my gosh, I'm cracking up. So what is the real answer? Uh, Hang on. But before that, since we went over the other level 20 items, there's, there's one more alchemical item that's level 20. Oh, sure. Go for it. Sorry, uh, and it's Tears of Death. So again, necromancy shit. Uh, so it's a poison distilled from the extracts of five other deadly poisons. It's got a DC 46 fortitude saving throw. It takes a minute to onset. Um, stage one is... 18d6 poison damage. Stage 2 is 25d6 poison damage. And stage 3 is 30d6 poison damage. Oh, and you're paralyzed the whole time. Um, And each stage lasts a minute. Oh, sorry. One round, and then one minute, and then one minute. So, uh, but the poison maximum duration is 10 minutes so have fun taking 30 d6 damage for like 7 minutes what are you going to be using this on something with a lot of hp hopefully oh my god so we're going to be fighting gods maybe that'll work you guys got just got to keep them busy for a minute, and I can take care of the rest of it. I mean, at this point, you are level 20. You basically are a god at that point. True. Yeah. You know, either you could kill god or you are a god, and I don't really care if there's a difference. Same. Anyway, sorry. Back to ancestries. All right. Yeah, so elves. Goblins. <laughs> <laughs> oh right that's a weird of course. Beth, I've, ne- I've never heard anyone pronounce goblin that way that's a weird <laughs> it's a weird way to pronounce it so like you know it just seems strange a flub i'm sorry although i will say hobgoblins yes uh because already you've got constitution man you're gonna be able to drink a lot of mutagens and intelligence so, they're pretty good. Uh, but even that, like, base goblins are pretty good. They get dexterity and charisma. It's not like you have an intelligence uh, deficit. 
Right. And I think thematically, like I think narratively, goblins fit really well. Um, because sort of the different types of of goblin that you can be is like, oh, you like eating stuff that nobody else would eat perfect mm-hmm. to be a mutagenist oh like you have a strange fascination with setting things on fire that's a bomber like it just it just seems like they line up really well maybe not chirurgian but we that we don't need to talk about that <laughs> <laughs> i love that that's fantastic so yeah i i think i would have to go with my favorite for this is hobgoblin Elf is a pretty close second. Like, Hobgoblin has some heritages that I think really uh, go into this really well. Uh, I particularly like the smoke worker Hobgoblin, which literally says your family has been alchemists. Uh, so you get fire resistance equal to half your level, and you automatically see succeed at dc5 flat checks to target a concealed creature so like if those creatures are concealed by smoke you're like i've been here before buddy i know what those patterns look like yeah i'm coming for you anyway um elf and this is probably one of the first times i'm gonna say elf um, or only times now that this is our last class. I mean, they get dexterity and intelligence. Right? So, like, dexterity is always helpful for your AC. Intelligence is their primary stat. Those kind of go hand in hand. Um, I, there's some cool heritages, don't get me wrong. I'm just not, like, in love with them. I'm just not in love with the elf. I'm sorry. To say. It's probably good. You're married. <laughs> That's true. That That is a true fact about. <laughs> uh, and then the only other ancestry. Other than human. Which we'll love, let David talk about here in a second. Because we know he will. Was I wanted to bring up the dwarf. Which I know is kind of an oddball choice. Uh, but they get that uh, constitution bonus. Right? And that's pretty cool. And then uh, they get access to some pretty cool uh, like forge heritages. There's the, the forge heritage, so you're really good at crafting. Which craft is already going to be near cool effects and then you have the strong blooded which gives you poison resistance just saying uh so i think dwarves would make pretty neat alchemists too but uh i i will let i will let david take it over with uh his choice uh again humans can do anything and uh at least you know if you're a human alchemist, you're way less boring than a human fighter. We did talk about that. It's true. I mean, it. you know, there, there's nothing special, but again, 
Yeah, they can get the intelligence boost. They can do anything that they want. Yeah, it's true. So finally, looking back at the uh, first edition Alchemist, the big change we already mentioned, they're not spellcasters anymore. First edition, uh, they were spellcasters. I also feel like bait now again, we're not talking about all those ancestor or not ancestries, um archetypes. But the base alchemist was never my favorite class. To be honest. I just felt like it was trying to be too many things and not good at any of them. So yeah, you got poison resistance pretty early and poison use really early but like what are you going to use that for um you did get swift poisoning which is kind of cool uh but the thing that i feel like second edition has a lot to leave uh not leave up to live up to is the alchemist archetypes because, again, how many did you say there were? 64. Yeah, there's a lot. And there were some really cool ones. Uh, there was the Rage Chemist. Just makes you a barbarian. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, you're like, oh, this mutagen? Gonna drink this, and then all of a sudden it's praise on Kutha and all over the place. <laughs> there are actually a couple of them that you have to be evil for so mm-hmm. that might whittle down your options a little bit like the blood alchemist um you mean i can't just be a waterbender i mean be a blood alchemist that's, that's what you think it would be but yeah. it actually you have to coup de gras something and collect its lifeblood and then do stuff with it Ooh, yeah. So, uh, you gotta not be so evil good. to do that. I mean, I could... No, it's... Yeah. It, no, you gotta be it, evil. You're right. Rules. Yeah. So, how many alchemists are able to just go to cross More than you think, apparently. Oh, that's great. Yeah, there's some, there's some pretty, pretty cool ones. Uh... The last thing that I wanted to mention before we wrap this up was we forgot an alchemical item. And it is the most, in my opinion, important alchemical item in the game. In Plague Stone, it was introduced that there is an alchemical crossbow. It's a grenade launcher. I can have a what? <laughs> Guys, as an action, you can load an a lesser bomb into this thing and shoot it at people. What? It's great. 100% wonderful. Like, just, just wonderful. I love it. And I think that's my favorite part of the alchemist is this item that was in a, a one-shot adventure. <laughs> <laughs> I want it. Not to say that I don't hate Ashka, and I think that 
I, I will say playing with an alchemist has allowed me to love the bomber alchemist more. Just not a fan of the mutagenist. Sarah's making faces at me, y'all. No, we're all trying to do math because you said it's not that I don't hate Ashka, but yeah. <laughs> oh, so rude. means you. Hate I met Ashka. Alchemist. No, I love Ashka. <laughs> I was trying so to count. Sarah, the... it's it's not, it's not that I hate your character. It's no. just that I hate your character, and also no. it's fine. No. I have a couple backup characters. So, no! <laughs> all right, Sunny. Join the club. Woo! Oh my god! No, I just don't really like the alchemist. I think thematically it's really cool, but when it comes down to uh, the build, it can be—I don't know—lacking. I guess is the best word, especially the mutagenist i haven't really looked into the healer that much uh what was it called sarah please chirurgeon thank you uh that one uh as much i'm sure that it's okay but i feel like this is the class especially being the class that was introduced to the core rulebook for the first time in second edition it needed more options this is definitely a class that benefits the more books have been published uh, for content with it. So it kind of makes me understand why they decided to put the alchemist in the core rulebook. I still can't forgive them for not picking the witch, but I do understand it. Because now we have books coming out. They're all going to have stuff for the alchemist where the witch now has a year behind that. So, I see the strategy to it. Still not a huge alchemist fan. But what do you guys what do you guys think about the alchemist? Besides Sarah. That that's fair. I think bomber's the only, you know, viable path at at the moment, kind of like you said. I know, being able to belch and get your mutagen back? That's uh, gross. But <laughs> yeah, bomber's the way to go right now. But what I would like to know, or what I would like you all to do, is to prove me wrong. Please, you know, let us know. Send us a tweet. Send us a message on Facebook. Tell us why we're wrong about the alchemist. If you can count on the internet for anything, it's to tell you why you're wrong. <laughs> it's absolutely true. Um, if I could just play the devil's advocate for a moment. Um, um actually. Alchemists are great? Oh, I was being facetious, but alchemists are great, and that is not a devil's advocate position. <laughs> oh, gotcha. <laughs> you guys cracked me up. Uh, I haven't heard that in a long time. Alright, well, that's all for this episode. I want to take a moment again. Thank you guys all for listening. We're ending it a little bit different than we normally do. Just because of the times we live in right now. 
protests going on, uh, the coronavirus is still very present in our lives. I want you guys to be able to reach out if you need resources, and we will do our best to provide those. Be safe. Be strong. Know that we appreciate all of you so much. And finally, from the bottom of my heart, I believe that all lives can't matter until black lives matter. Thanks for listening to Dice Don't Die. Hey, if you like what we do, please visit us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Dice Don't Die. Or email us at DiceDon'tDiePod at gmail.com. The intro and outro song, Crunk Night, were created by Kevin McLeod. More of his work, and the work of many others, can be found royalty-free at filmmusic.io. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you on the next adventure.